Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. With me today is Sarah Sutter. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we are conveniently on the same coast, which makes uh, getting the time zones figured out. Because sometimes when it's Paris or other places, we have to do math. This one, I'm like, great, we're on, the, we're on the same time zone, same coast. Yeah, so you're in Vegas right now. I am. I was just down there last week, and my goal was to really see the things that are preserving the history of the showgirl or the, the older casinos. I went to the neon graveyard. I went to Nevada State Museum and saw the collection from Follies Bergere. What else did I do? I feel like that, that was important to me. And when I was in the yeah. shows, I didn't get it. But even when we were talking before we recorded how that matters to you of yeah, that preservation. Love- and yeah. I, that's what I'd love to hear. Like when somebody actually kind of knows what they're a part of, I was just flitting from one show to the next, like, la da like it was like, I think you called it show hopping in the eighties. It was just like, there's yeah. a lot. And so I think your perspective is really beautiful and important of what it's like when you see this art form going away of the heartache of it, but also like the, the desire to preserve it and preserve it with integrity instead of just like, yeah, that's what showgirls are. Those girls you see down there on the strip. That's yeah. Just let it be that like, no, no. <laughs> I, I do feel like I had um, a friend say this not too long ago. Um, someone had asked her, are those real showgirls? And we were just working a gig together. And the thing that was great about that is she said, a real showgirl will never ask you for money to take a picture with her. And I just was like, that's so true. That's so classic, not to classic, not to knock anything else that's yeah. going on out on the strip. But I was like, um, yeah, that's true. Like, we're just happy to take pictures with people and, and tell them a little bit about our lives as showgirls. Are people interested? Because I know there was some, it was another showgirl that was telling me this, that she was down there and was saying, oh, I was a showgirl. Like, yeah, those don't exist anymore. So they really didn't even want to know, uh, what a showgirl yeah. was, but I'm just curious if, if, uh, if people want to know if they're, if you even find, cause you're in Las Vegas where so much of this. Right. Was that, oh, sorry, dog. <laughs> was epic. Okay. If people even show any interest or are interested that you did that now that they know it's not readily yeah, available I, to see. I think people are really um, fascinated with the showgirl and what the showgirl is. Um, Fluff, uh, our company manager at Jubilee, was um, really great about explaining the showgirl. She always talked about it as like the mystery of the showgirl that, you know, like we all kind of do we look the same? Are we twins? Are we not? So we like had our own personalities, but we all also kind of all had the same poise and we moved the same way. Um, So I do think people are really interested and are fascinated by like the, the image of the showgirl and even like the life of the showgirl. Like, what do we, what are, what are our lives really like? So I'm going to get asked that a lot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause I lived in, Reno and worked in Reno and hello Hollywood hello and so I remember people back home in Washington thinking I was partying I don't know what they thought and I 
we would do the show. I'd have some popcorn. I'd watch it, a black and white movie and, <laughs> and we'd go for picnics. I mean, I wasn't a partier. I know those things were in the show, but I would come back home and people doing college life were way wilder and doing things that I was <laughs> like, so I don't know. The assumption is always the wildness or like, do you sleep in your eyelashes? Like, do you, you know, do you take your costumes home? Questions that you're like, oh yeah, people really have no idea. Uh, they think we, we do. live in the casino. Right. Like, do you live in the casino? Like, no. <laughs> oh my god. That's gosh. always a common question. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, in, yeah. Um, I did the backstage tours for um, a while in Jubilee, and that was like common. I think I got asked that question all the time. Do you live here in the in the casino? Like, no, I have a normal life. <laughs> they just <laughs> put you in the wardrobe closet and just zip it up for the night. Yeah. So ha- I would, let's start there. What were those tours like? Like, what were you showing them? What were you telling them? Like, and I'd love to hear more of the questions I asked because, yeah, you forget that this is such an anomaly. Like, people just don't understand this life. So the questions are going to be a giveaway of like the mystery or right. the assumption. And it, and it was. So people want to see the backstage people want to see what goes on that makes the show what it is so we offered backstage tours just open to the public that they could buy a ticket um, a few days a week and then we also did private um, backstage tours and those private backstage tours had the option to watch the transformation of a showgirl so um i would go in and, and greet the people that were doing the tour. And we just like kind of start on stage explaining like this massive tour, uh, sorry, massive stage that had this crazy elevator system. And then we would make our way down into the basement because the dressing rooms and all of that is two flights below the stage. So we're climbing about 1500 stairs a night. Um, but we would take the people who are on the tour down into the basement and they'd get to see what like a dressing room looks like where we signed in every night so that they knew that we were all there because there were 85 dancers. So how else could they know that we were here? And then they would make their way through um, into the wardrobe area where all of the seams just sat and the wardrobe attendant sat. And then we would make our way up the, we called it up the ramp. Um, to see the costume shop and, and the feather room. That's where all the Bob Mackie costumes lived. Well, the green and the blue of the Bob Mackie mm. costumes. Um, and then we would make our way back upstairs. And if they were staying for um, a makeup demonstration, I would um, sit down and I had like light makeup on for the tour, but I would do my full show makeup. Um, that was the Jubilee look that we all had similar makeup and um I think their favorite part was me putting on my eyelashes. I would put one on and then look up at them and they could see the difference between the two. So there was that. They always were super fascinated by the way that we put our hair up into the hairnet before we put our hats on. And then um, after I did that, I'd go up and put on one of the Bob Mackie costumes and come back out and just show them like how, like what a bevel is and why we bevel and the showgirl walk. And then they could come up and um, take photos um, with me. And, and then I would send them on their way after that. But, you know, they always wanted to know like what we did outside. Um, a lot of us worked two jobs. Um, a lot of us were in school. Um, I went to school for architecture, uh, when I was in Jubilee, I had a son, um, who now is, 21 almost 22 so like they were really fascinated about my life outside of there 
and just what living in Las Vegas is like, which I always try to explain to them. Like once you leave the strip, it's a normal town. We do normal, normal things. So. Yeah. There's grocery stores and banks. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Wow. Cause I think the makeup would be fascinating to watch. Cause I just even remember coming in. I don't know if I got a tutorial. I just know you get your makeup and you look at it and then like the eyelashes are sticking out the wrong way. It's like, it's way harder. And I have all my early pictures, all the pictures of the show were in the week I started. So my makeup is not good. My bevel's not good. I'm like, damn it. I wish I had taken some pictures later on when I'd gotten this down better. Right. There's, I think the Jubilee, isn't the eyeshadow darker? At least the videos I've looked at up close, there's a different makeup than we did or other shows. Orange, black, and white. Yeah, it was orange, black, and white mixed together. But when I first came into the show, that was in August of 2003, they sent um, myself and and the other girl, there were only two bluebells that came in um, my contract and they sent us over to Mac and they showed us how to do our makeup. And they left, we left with a piece of paper that kind of was like drawn on there what our makeup was supposed to look like. Really? yeah. And so we got that one little tutorial and um, we went on our way and I have that, that same picture of myself um, in the opening bluebell costume of just what a mess my makeup was <laughs> and my bevel was so bad. Um, so it definitely, I, I was lucky. I had Marlena Shaw that just came, she was one of the principals, just came and got me and she's like, honey, we need to fix your makeup. (laughs) And another um, girl that was one of the tall show girls, her name was Sarah Jordan. She came, she did the same thing. She's like, can we please just help you with your makeup a little bit? So um, over time I got better, better at it. Yeah. (laughs) I found a picture of me because I was showing it for the showgirl thing I taught the other night. And I'm like, I'm wearing light blue eyeshadow. How did I how did I not know or how did I get away with that? Or they go, oh, well, right. for later. Cause you watch like how certain colors don't look good on stage, but we yeah. all had the same lipstick. We had cherries and Maron was the brand cherries in the snow that we all mm-hmm. had the same lips. And I think, I think we had to have the same lashes, but I don't know that it was as uniform, yeah. which it would have been, it's probably good. Cause other shows I went in, it was just a free for all people had like rainbow right. stripes. Like I'm going to wear glitter and there was no, um, formality, which, you know, in a show like Jubilee or Hello Hollywood, Hello, you just, you can't have it be a free for all. (laughs) No, they were very, I feel like they were very specific about um, our makeup. And um, we did, we wore the 301 lashes that now I just look at them like, oh my gosh, they're so massive. They went like up above (laughs) my eyebrows. And uh, we wore, I I remember the color that they gave me uh, because I still wear it to this day. It's called Ruby Woo at MAC. And, um, and then the other one that they suggested was the, the Russian red. It just, they wanted a, a red lipstick with a blue undertone. That's kind of yeah. where we were with a little bit darker line around our lips, but yeah, the lipstick, I feel like was very important. We, people got notes on like your lipstick, cause the, the color, the lights and the gels will like wash the, the lip color off of you. So right. the, the red lipstick was super important. And so were the eyelashes. Yeah. And the way you put the eyelashes on was a very specific technique to keep your eye like really big. And open. yeah, and I think the first mine were kind of going straight out. And now yep. people watch me, but I wear them once. So I'll do the magnetic ones, but how you tip them up and people are, are mesmerized. Like, what is that? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah you don't want it 
there's a whole thing to yeah. open your eyes. Did you guys do pancake? I'm just so curious of the difference in our generations. Cause we had the pants pancake that you used a wet sponge. And then there was stick. It was like just grease paint. It was disgusting. I, I feel like to start out with, um, I, we did, um, and I'm going to go ahead and say, it, but I still was using the stick, but the first, when I very first started, it was definitely like a pancake, um, with a, I used a brush to put it on, but yeah, it's a thick, thick foundation. Um, and I, and, but to be honest, towards the end, I, I hate wearing foundation. So I would, uh, well, the end of my first run, which ended in 2011, uh, I would get asked, do you have foundation on? I'm like, no. And then, so they're like, you need to wear foundation. Oh, it's hard but on yes, your skin. It, it is. And, you know, at that time I was the line captain. So I would do what was called five minute makeup because I'm going to two different rooms to give notes or if there was last minute changes. So I feel like it was like the five minute call and I was just trying to get my, my makeup on and get out, um, to get on the elevators to ride up or whatever thing I was doing, because, you know, for me, I was, uh, one of the first people that they kind of named it a super swing. I learned the chorus singer track, um, the nude track or the showgirl track and the bluebell tracks. So I did, anything and everything, all combinations all throughout. And then after that, they um, continued on with the, the bluebell swing, they would have them learn all of the tracks as well. So um, I was uh, always just kind of flipping through a book to try to see where I'm going for that number, the next number coming up or looking before the show. So I feel like that going back to the foundation, that's when I was like, I don't have time for all of that, right? <laughs> Let me yeah. get my eye, eye makeup and my lipstick on. So you also would be giving a tour a couple nights a week and being swing and captain and in the show. Ooh, yeah. no wonder. Yeah, you, and that makeup's got to go on fast. Yeah, and if, and if just adding on to the list of things, if we were, when I came first came into the show and when I was a line captain, we were rehearsing from midnight to four o'clock in the morning. So um, just as a new dancer, trying to learn a show from midnight to four, like on that perspective as a dancer to come in and try to get your brain to function at that hour of the night. Yeah. And then if you were the line captain, you were doing your two shows you do your 7.30 show, your 10.30 show, and then you would go right into that, that rehearsal process after. And that happened twice a year. And the rehearsal process was a month long. Yeah. Oh my so. gosh. And then the, the put-in, because I've interviewed, I think I've done 100, 150 something I've interviewed. Wow. And it's just so different uh, if it was Paris, if it was Vegas, if it was the 80s. Because someone, like I went in as a replacement and I, I learned, you just learn it so stinking fast. And right. then you, I went in, I think two numbers my first night, and then you add a bit and some people just got thrown in or they had a long period. How were they doing it when you were line capped or when you went in yourself? Was it the put in so, rehearsals people are also the whole cast stays late to get, and there's a lot yeah. of people coming in throughout the year. So that must happen often that you've done two shows and the cast has to stay and get the new people in the right place. Typically, unless someone were to leave um, maybe if, if they were pregnant they would they would leave but 
typically you were only doing a changeover twice at the end of the contract. So when I, when I first went into the show, it was literally, you had a flat, so you'd rehearse for about three and a half weeks and then you'd have a flat stage put in, which means we would just run the show just because of, of safety issues, because of the elevators at any mm. point in time, you could have like 30 foot drop into the basement. So the first night of the put-ins, you would run with the entire cast and that's no costumes. It's just flat stage. You run the entire show. And then if we had to rerun any numbers, they would stop and run it. But we knew going in that the cast really didn't want to run anything more than one time. So um, we would try to get it right the first time. Then the, the second night of put-ins would be um, full run with um, sets and music and lights. And then if we were lucky, we could wear a costume. But my first night of the show for disco, which was the second number for the the dancers, I never practiced without, um, I mean, with my costume on. Like the first night of the show was the first time that I actually wore the costume. And it was, a you know, like a three foot hat with these long draped wrists, cuffs, like hanging off with all of these feathers because my head was so big, um, I actually didn't fit into any of the um, hats. So they um, were going to have to adjust the hat that somebody else is wearing. So that's the tricky part when you were talking about these put-ins where we do, you can, you do the run with full lights and sound and stage um, the night before. So that would be a Thursday night, Friday night was dark, Saturday night you went into the show maybe never wearing the costume that oh you're my going God. to wear because somebody that's leaving the show is wearing that costume Thursday. Right. So any adjustments that had to be made for your costumes, the wardrobe um, and the costume shop would stay Thursday night and they would collect. You would just see when you're leaving the show one by one, your costumes would, would be picked up and they would take them up to the costume shop and they would start working on them because they only had from Thursday night um, until Saturday to get those costumes changed. So like changed over to fit the new cast. So when I came into the show, like I said, there were only, well, there were two of us and then another girl started late. There were only three bluebells. But when I became the line captain, um, that changeover, I put 13 new people into the show. So that was 13 sets oh of costumes gosh. and everybody's doing between nine and 11 costume changes throughout the show. So those all had to be changed over. And then Saturdays when you run the show. So really you only have that one chance with the cast and with any costumes that are available to you to run the show before you are like live and in, in the show. That's, um, um, do you, did, I think you worked with Tara Scott. I was looking on your friend list. Her interview, she was yeah. saying that too, like her worry was like, she didn't get to have the costume the day of the, interest, the preoccupation. How do I get out of this costume and into my next? Because yeah. it's not just sticking on a leotard and a hat, all the, the there's bracelets, necklace, G-strings, all that. And so yeah. that's kind of crazy to think. Cause when I went out of the show, I think I took one member out and my replacement did that. And so I could go swing somebody else. Like I've always wanted to be an astronaut. So I've got to who wants to go out? Can I do your part tonight? But it was like one at a time or maybe two at a time. So I kind of went right. out gradually and they came in gradually. So they got to practice that one costume change. That's crazy in my mind to think of, especially those Bob yeah. Mackie costumes. 
of never getting to wear those going down the staircase. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the first time I wore the Bob Mackie costumes, cause I was a bluebell who swung into quote unquote, what they called the, the nude line uh, or the showgirl line. Um, I did it. I learned the number the night before, and I never got to walk down those stairs before the, the costume oh was my- put on me. And that, that happened a lot. That's how I learned so much of the show because people were, we had a contract of a lot of people being injured. So I would learn um, a number the night before and then go into it the next, the next day. And um, without really Uh, doing it before (laughs) you're on stage, but you're familiar at that point, I was familiar with all of the music and I was familiar with the stage and like the patterns of just being on stage, unless it was a number that I was downstairs changing because people were always, you'd have one group of dancers downstairs changing while the other group is upstairs on stage. So we constantly were changing unless it was the end of an act. And then of course we had the specialty acts, but going back to the the put-ins and um, we may have been doing this when Tara was in the show because I was her line captain. Um, We did these things called mini put-ins. So you would learn the first act and then uh, the cast would stay at anybody that was changing spots that was in the cast they would come and we do just the opening act so you'd get a few more people anybody that was was doing new spots and then the incoming cast and they would run it so they could at least be on the set pieces it wasn't full cast and then we so we did that you had like four little we call them mini put-ins and then Mm. you just had that that one go with with the cast and and it was good luck but everybody knew where they were going so like when it was your time to run with everybody, there just was a hole for you. Like you could just see where you needed to go. Just so, go for it. Yeah. And I think you're just in like hyper-focused mode that it's just like your body takes over and it's like survival. I, cause I remember <laughs> my first night of calling home because it was a big, big deal that I was topless. My family was not happy about it. And that was of course the first question. But I go, oh, I don't even know. I don't remember. It's just like, right? don't get in anyone's way. Don't fall off the stage. Watch out for the elevator. Keep this hat on. So you get done and go, did I do that? Because it is like that adrenaline. But there's something interesting. I've talked to swings too, like how if a new person comes in, whoever they're standing next to might not be who they go in on their opening show. So don't get used to that yeah. face because that might mm-hmm. not be who's next to you. So there's just oh, yeah. so many components that I think if people understand, you're not just walking of all that goes into the brain work to do yeah. those shows. And like, even I showed last night in my showgirl class, the stairs and those costumes and people like, how do you, I go, oh, yeah, you don't look down. And they were baffled that you could even keep that on, on a flat stage, let alone going down the stairs. And now to hear without getting to where the costume or do the stairs beforehand, that's, it is, it's crazy. And we did it. There's things we did like, that is crazy. And we did it and it was wonderful. And holy crap. We did. Nobody died that we know of. <laughs> right. You know, there's stories of people falling down the stairs of all that, because it really is, uh, you know, you get your foot yeah. caught or yeah, there's, it's uh, amazing. And the trust that we had, like we must've really wanted to do it and it was worth every bit of it. Oh yeah. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. <laughs> so where did you grow up and how did you start dancing? Cause I'm always curious how anyone finds this type of job because if you're in a ballet studio, not that many people are talking about Vegas. I think people right. are talking about, especially maybe towards your age group, New York and LA or broad, right. you know, Broadway, but like, I don't know how many people knew 
that this was a route, unless you're tall. And that's what they said. Well, there's always Vegas because you're tall. Right. So I am from a, a small town in Colorado. I'm from Cortez, Colorado. And I think my whole county has like 11,000 people um, in it. And I was super lucky that my um, mom was willing to drive me. We always say drive over the mountain because uh, my dance teacher had passed away. There's only really one dance teacher in my town. She had passed away. So I was driving to Durango, Colorado, which was about an hour drive or Farmington, New Mexico, which was about an hour and a half. So my mom uh, was really good about driving me to these places so that, that I could train. So I was training when I was young. I was an athlete. So I ended up um, going to college on a volleyball scholarship um, and got injured. And then when I transferred to, I went back to dance. Even when I was playing volleyball, I still was taking at a studio because it was just something that I loved. And then when I, I transferred, they had a dance department at the university I was at. So um, I went in as a dance minor there and I was super lucky to have met um, a girl in the dance department. Her mom owns a studio and um, I danced at that studio in the evenings. Um, they had a ballet ensemble, so I was dancing there. And she happened to be um, a dancer who had been out on cruise ships, and she worked for Greg Thompson. I worked um, for Greg. And, uh, yep. <laughs> um, and her sister was in Jubilee. And before I had gone to college, my mom, and, and during my college years, we were really good about, for some reason, we came to Vegas like three times a year for vacation. Um, and my mom always would take me to see a show. And so when I saw Jubilee, I was like, oh, like that's just in my mind. I was like, oh, that I would be in that show. Um, and then if you fast forward to when I'm in college, little did I know the owner of the studio, her daughter, Crystal, was actually in Jubilee when I saw it. And so I got to chat with her a little bit. Um, but I went and I went to New York when I was 16. That's where my mom's from. And I, and I went with my school and we toured the Radio City Rockettes and we went to musicals and I don't know I just was like I just don't feel like like I'm I'm super interested in going to New York um and so I had in my mind I was going to be a college professor and so I said my brother was coming to UNLV for graduate school and I said okay I'll come with you and and I needed to get like my third choreography class my third dance history class so I could get into graduate school and my neighbor was in Siegfried and Roy and she knew I was a dancer um, and she had done Into the Night as well. So uh, she said, I really want to go to the Jubilee audition. Will you come with me? And so I went to the audition and they just kept keeping me. And I was like, what? I just they couldn't uh, process it. And they, they didn't keep her. But she was a beautiful girl and a very talented dancer. But she wasn't tall enough. She was only about five, six. And she did the trick where you put the bun on top of your head to make yeah. yourself look taller. <laughs> um, so they didn't end up keeping her, but they ended up keeping me. And then, so now I'm in this show that I never planned on, on being in. And it really, like I grew up in that show and it completely just changed my, the entire course of my life. Yeah. So what was that like going into the show? Because now you've, you were telling what it's like for you to put people in, but remembering back for you to come into this huge show, how old were you? Um, I was 22. Okay. So you've got some yeah. maturity, some life. Underneath yeah. You. I was 22 and my, my son was a year and a half old. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, you're doing this as a mom. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's in the beginning of your career. Right. And, and for some reason, I don't know why I felt like it was taboo to have a child or something. So like, you know how you at your spot, you'd put like your pictures up and everything. Like I never, like, I didn't really tell anybody. Uh, so it was about a year and a half before like Fluff and Diane even knew that, that I was a mom. So, um, but going into the, at the time when I went into the show, you, if you were a returning cast member, if you wanted them to pick up your option for the next contract, you had to re-audition, like you had to learn a combination and re-audition to, to keep your job. And like over the years that changed um, to just being a lineup. Um, but so we audition the first day and then they call us back the second day. And so you go back and you audition with the the current cast that wants to return and you have to make that decision about two months before your contract is up that, Hey, I would like to be considered for the next contract. And so you go in and I just remember you knew who all the people were that were not in the show. We just showed up. We had on our little two piece, nothing, mm-hmm. no sparkle. We're just yep. plain. And then, you know, for the people who are returning, I think they just loved rhinestoning their like little outfits that they wore typically like a bra and, and a G string. And um, they just looked, I just remember being like, these women are so glamorous. They're so beautiful. I don't belong here. Um, and then over the course of time, like I turned into those, that like those beautiful yep. women. And then I was the person teaching the audition. And so That's it was cool. just like a nice comparison of, who it was when I was going into the show. But I do remember just being like, how did I even arrive here? Like, I do not belong here. (laughs) So. Wow. And how about learning everything? Was that, was it the same kind of thing where you had the three, you had the three weeks and then you go in everything all at once or a little at a time? Yep. Yeah, we did the the one. And this was before they did the little mini put in. So it was like everything built up to that flat stage put in and then the full put in. And that was, you did flat stage Wednesday night, full stage Thursday night, and then they were dark on Friday. And then you just went in Saturday and it was like, good luck. <laughs> go, and, go little birdies. <laughs> yeah. And I had a, like, I really like really loved my line captain. Her name was Mickey, but I do remember we learned most of the opening our first night. And I just feel like that number is so long and it just goes on forever and ever. And we came back and we did not know what we learned the the night before. And, and so we were, we were in a, I'll say we were in a little bit of trouble. So myself, uh, uh, the girl I came in with, her name was Megan. She came over to my house the next day and we got a poster board and we wrote down the entire opening dance. Cause everything had like nicknames, like the choo choo step and the Susie Q and we taped it up onto my fireplace and we just stood in front of it and we just did it over and over and over and over again yeah and so that was harder to retain I think some of that style because it it is little things which is harder Mm -hmm. like if you're like pot of beret kickball change that's easy to but when it's that specific this hand this that little thing those little movements are harder like but if they have a Susie Q or name otherwise like there's it just feels arbitrary of what goes where that's just right. That style is a very different thing to learn and to store in your brain because it's just mm-hmm. kind of similar. Right. The arm is here on this one, but it's over here, but kind of similar here. Yeah. Wow. For sure. Did you feel confident when you went in? Did you feel ready to go on your um, opening? Honestly, I couldn't even tell you. 
<laughs> especially because it's a blur. I don't remember much. It 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 really really is. I the only real thing that I remember about my opening night is as a bluebell, you started on the elevators in the basement and you just rode up really slow on these elevators and and it just happened that we did these circly things, which why we were spinning and walking in circles while something's moving up and down in the air. I have no <laughs> idea, but I just remember I would come around. We do a grapevine from the back to the front. And then I saw the audience and then I was lucky. I got to go all the way around to the back. So um, I did spend my first contract in the, in the, the back, which was great. And, but then <laughs> as soon as they put me in the front, I didn't want to be anywhere else, but in the front. Right. It was oh just, gosh. I do remember that riding up on the elevators. And um, my other one was doing the number disco that I talked about that I had never worn this hat. And I just remember being like, what is going on and my head was bobbling all around so because the hats they're on your head but what you don't realize and this is what I would tell people in my tours is like your scalp moves like it's not attached to your skull so when the, <laughs> the hat's moving around on your head it's not necessarily falling off but it's moving on like your actual scalp is moving back and forth so it gives you the feeling that things were falling off your head and just like have to trust yourself and the, and the hat not to put your hand up because you don't want to be fiddling with your hat and stuff um, when you're you're on stage. One hat I wore when I would do the principal spot in Titanic was this big white hat on the pier. And that hat I would occasionally have to grab the, the side of it, but I had to make it look like part of the um, the choreography. But we were just trained like, do not... Number one, don't damage the costume. Number two, don't touch it unless you have to. Yeah. I did look at your photos before I uh, got on today. I, that picture, I did look at that. I think I've seen that, but I didn't realize like how monstrous that headpiece yeah. is. And, and I have small headpieces and I will have my right. dancers wear and a small one throws them off. And they, But I go, this is nothing. I'm, I'm not minimizing their experience, but I'm like, this right. is so small compared to what you balance on your head. It's like, put that Christmas tree on your head and now walk across the stage. Right. The, 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 what it does to your neck and your back and you just have to, your body learns how to keep it steady. Yeah. And, and the majority of the costumes are not made for you. And, yeah. and I was super lucky that um, I had been there long enough, but they brought Pete Menifee back in to redo a lot of the costumes. So so many of the costumes I was lucky enough but that when they got rebuilt they actually got rebuilt to fit me personally um which is is unusual because the costumes only get remade over the course of the the 33 years that the, the show ran that they only were remade like once or twice so if you think of all of the history of the people who have worn it and they just resize them to to fit you so you were lucky if if it was during a time period when, when, when they were refurbishing costumes and you've got one that actually fit you. And yeah. so it was nice when I came back into the show the second time, I actually did get some of my um, original costumes that were built for me, but also they kept my shoes. So <laughs> I got oh, some of my wow. old shoes back and they just fit so perfectly to me because we switched over to the Laduca shoe and, and I couldn't wear the shoe. So they, I, they had all of my old Capizios. They just really, the Laduca didn't fit my, my foot like at all. So I was lucky that I got to um, 
wear my my old shoes and I actually got a pair of Linda Green shoes who was the original principal for Jubilee and I still oh have those God. today like those are like part of that memorabilia and that love that I have for Jubilee that I was like I will always keep those shoes because she was so nice that um, I learned uh, one of the first principal roles I did I learned from her so um, that's like something super special to me. Were you a swing for principal or were you principal? Um, no, I was just, I was an understudy. And then when we get into like the second part, when they revamped the show, I was a, a featured dancer, which was doing the principal role, but it wasn't specific to a principal person with the, the show. Okay. When the show closed, it was, you just were a featured dancer and you did like that particular number, you were the, the soloist. But I was lucky. I, I got to learn almost all of the principal roles and, and be uh -huh. an understudy. When I auditioned, Fluff told me it, um, that she never wanted to give me up as a line captain. So, oh. um, but I was so grateful for just getting to be the understudy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you were in the show from what year to what year? So I did 2003 to 2011. Um, and then I did 2013 until it closed. So there was something that keeps you there that long. But also it's wonderful when you get to swing and do different tracks and line captain and all that, that keeps it fresh because there's other, there were still other shows happening on the strip at the, that mm -hmm. time. What was it that kept you there? I think, well, I think that the connection that I had with Fluff and Diane for sure just kept me there. I loved the the history of the show. I thought that the show was so special and and I felt so lucky to be be part of it. And um, the glamour, like you're wearing thousands and thousands of dollars of, of costumes. And and I had created so many bonds, even with like Marius, who was the, the head of the wardrobe department. Like I would go and sit up there in between when we would do a tour and there wasn't enough time for me to go home. So I'd go and he would just teach me about the costumes and how things are constructed and and built and um, you just like create these relationships. And then it, the first time I was on the show, I really loved being the line captain and all the opportunities that came along with it. I mean, gosh, I got to be on so many TV shows and, and travel out of the country to represent um, Jubilee. And I love doing the audition tour. Um, and, and when I came back, I was a tall nude when I came back and still got to have like the same opportunities with all of the PR stuff and the on TV stuff. Um, but I think like it was like, I was married to that show. I really did have, I loved, loved being there and I grew up there. So the thing that was great about it, it gave me the opportunity to be able to raise my, my son with ease. I could buy a house, you could have a car. Um, all of those things that in other cities, like mm -hmm. if I was at work, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. And it was nice. Like Fluff and Diane always um, asked how Ethan was. They were very kind of like invested in him. And to this day, like Diane still um, asked about Ethan. She knows Ethan, like they know each other. So I really did feel like I was part of a family there. Um, so I think everybody's journey there is different. But for me, it was like such a huge part of me growing up just as like a woman and, and yeah. the relationships I built with the people there. Yeah. 
when I've, I've interviewed so many people that had babies while they were in the show and how you try to hide it from fluff or from Jillian and our show, like, and you start getting a few parts in the back with a little bit more costume, but I was always surprised of how long they let pregnant dancers stay in there. You're also getting the maternity, you're getting some good health benefits. So they don't bump you out as soon as you're pregnant. Right. But did you have other friends who had children? Cause that, you know, there's two lives, there's a show life, but there's also the mom life and everyday life yeah. and getting home at four in the morning and children that don't get up at <laughs> noon. Right. Um, yeah. So I think you mentioned Jillian, like Michelle was a really good friend of mine, her, oh. her daughter and, and her, her husband. Um, I had a friend who became one of my best friends right away when um, I came into Jubilee and, and she was a singer and her name was Molly and she had two boys and it was like, Ethan was right in the middle of them and they became brothers and um, you know, we just were kind of inseparable as, as families. And I watched their kids and they watched mine and Ethan would go to their house at night. And so I'd go drop Ethan off and we'd drive to work together and, and go back. So Are I you coming I think home that, to a sleeping child that you put in the car yeah. asleep and I, cause that yeah. was always the hours and then they wake up in their bed and did, and then school hours is, yeah. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. I was just thinking just no, that okay. part of having somewhere that's not a daycare sounds like a much better option. It was. I So I was super lucky. I, um, the neighbor that I talked about at the beginning when I went into Jubilee, she, um, her kids went to the uh, daycare at the MGM, which is just right down the alley from Bally's. And I was super lucky to happen to call at the right time. And they're like, oh, we have we happened to have a, com they called it a community member. So somebody that was not part of um, the MGM so that they said, we can take your son. And so I literally could drive to work and take him in there. So like three days a week, he was there. And then the other days he was going to my friend's house. And then, and then my mom um, and my stepdad uh, eventually ended up buying a house here after we had been here a couple of years. Um, and then he was staying with, with my mom at night. So I would drop him off at my mom's house and, and pick him up. But I remember it just got to the point, Ethan probably weighed about a hundred pounds. And he said, you know what, how about you just stop? He said, I don't want you to carry me anymore. I'll just stay the night here. So then I was going to my house and sleeping and getting up early and driving to my mom's house. And, and then I would wake him up and we'd get ready at my mom's house. And then I'd take him to school. So it was like trying to get there before he, he woke up so that I could wake him up. Um, when did you sleep? Cause also you're not just a dancer. You're doing all these other things and then yeah. having a child. I mean, it's a lot in that those hours yeah. are different, but you did it for that many years. It's, it's really remarkable that I think you I just have the energy executive naps all the time. And then okay. like a full night's sleep. It was just like, here's some hours. And, and I would sleep after I dropped him off at school. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not a lot of, not a lot of sleep. And honestly, I feel like until recently, kind of like right at, at the pandemic was when I started getting sleep because I was still doing shows and getting up and teaching in the morning. Um, so just recently, I feel like I've actually started to get a significant amount of sleep. Like, oh, that's what this yeah. is. This is what other people do. They do it like, like all night. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was very fascinating of how moms 
and dads did that with those mm-hmm. late hours and school, you know, Las Vegas doesn't start till noon. Like every kids get up in the morning and parents have barely got to sleep. Oh, yeah. What did you do those, that period that you weren't at Jubilee? You said you did, worked until uh, 2011, then you came back a little bit later. Right. Um, I briefly moved. Um, well, I, I wouldn't say I moved. I briefly went to Colorado, where I'm from. I mo- went and stayed um, in Denver with some friends, and then I moved to Hawaii. Um, my dad lived there for eight years, so I always, and still to this day, like, part of my heart is there. So I'm always trying to go back and visit. Um, and then I ended up taking a job of all places in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is, I was actually born in Wyoming, even though I grew up in Colorado, um, for, um, a company called Sierra Trading Post. And I was, um, their in-house women's stylist for their, their catalog and their e-commerce and their in-house model. Um, and then I just worked gigs. It was a, a short trip to Denver. So I would drive back and forth. And I, so for that year, like for about a year and a half, I worked solely just as a model and occasionally danced here and there. And, and I wanted to come, come back and, and I wanted to, um, get my teaching certificate so I could move and live permanently in Hawaii. And so I called Diane and, asked if I could come back into the show. And so she had me fly out and, and I had to do an audition. It was so, so crazy. You had to re-audition. Oh, I had wow. to re-audition. And the, and the girl that auditioned me was actually the girl that took over for me as the, the line captain. And they, um, she, they took me, it was called up the ramp. So we went up the ramp and she had me do part of short new disco and part of Tiller and so they came up, uh, Diane, and at the time it was Suzanne, who was the nude line captain with me, watched me. They didn't even have me take my warm-ups off or anything. And they're like, okay, you can still dance. And <laughs> I remember Diane saying to me, well, I just had to see you in person to make sure one leg wasn't longer than the other now or something like that. And so <laughs> I literally flew out, auditioned, and the next day flew back and went back to work and um then Diane had called me and said, we'd like for you to come back. And so I gave notice like immediately and, and came back and um, went back in the show and about a, that would have been in August. And I can't remember December ish. Exactly. It was right around Christmas. We met Frank Gatson and that's when we call it the, the Frank apocalypse happened when we started doing the, the revamp. So you got there right when that was going to happen. So you had come back to the show that you had known one way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you talk about what that was like? Because I've heard it from different people that knew Jubilee one way. And some people, I don't know if some people didn't get cast for the new one. I don't know if there was some changeover. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of heartache in those years, a lot of confusion. Yeah. I, I think that, like I said before, it was like a different journey for everyone for me personally, because like I was so invested in the show and um, was so familiar with like the history. And I was, I was, I feel like I came in at a good time where I kind of knew like the quote unquote older generation and the new generation because of who was in the show when, when I first came in. So uh, for me, it was just like so heartbreaking um, and but for other people, younger people, they, they, they thought it was great. Um, we had cast members that came in with Frank that only came in for like a three month contract, or they came in just for the opening of the show. 
so everybody's journey and experience was different, but I think for a lot of the dancers that had been there for a long time, it was very, very heartbreaking because it was such a historical show and Jubilee prided itself on sticking to what it originally was, even though in the late 1990s, they redid part of like the opening and the finale, like they they tried to keep it original to to what it was. And then to have somebody come in and just not love the show the way that that we did i think was really really hard for us um and hard to to watch and to watch like the dynamic of how people were treated um was very mm. very different um and just brought back a lot of like controversial like issues that you know weren't any issues like we're talking about bringing back at one point Frank wanted to bring back the ebony line and it just was so weird how like the whole dynamic of the entire um thought process changed where we were in this really like safe environment where maybe we didn't agree with choices that would be made we we still could be there and feel good and mm. I would have days where I would go to rehearsal and I would just sit there and, and, and do nothing. I, I think that it was a weird dynamic. Frank didn't really think that the tall nudes could dance, but then he ended up casting the tall nudes and like the featured number. So we would just sit and, and do nothing. And we were so lucky. Um, he had a choreographer on staff that was just absolutely lovely, which was one of the m most positive experiences that I had in, in that process. And his name was Chris Grant. And he understood, I feel like, what, what the show girl was and how to make us look beautiful and the movement be pretty. And, and, and he gave us counts, which was something we never really knew what was going on. But if we were working with Chris, like I always felt like I knew um, what was going on. And he had this beautiful, calm presence about himself. And, and so I, I did enjoy that. I traveled to Mexico City with Frank um, and some other dancers. So I feel like there, I think there were four of us that I got to know him on a little bit of a, a different level. So I could, I don't want, ever want to say I could understand him, but I could be a little more gracious with his um, eclectic personality after spending that time with him. And then, and then moving on after that, I worked with him in some, in some other, uh, on some other pro projects and saw him outside of that. So I feel like for me, my relationship with him was a little bit different than other people's, but um, it just was for everybody. You could just see the heartache. And it wasn't just like the heartache within the cast. It was like within the community, people couldn't believe that we were closing this like show still to this day. When I say I was in Jubilee or I'm introduced that way, people are like, I can't believe that they let that show close. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I talked very to Robert, Robert Rang, who was the, uh, yeah, he was a production designer on that and for hello Hollywood. And they did some in Paris of, like what if there hadn't been like when you walk in to see the show all the historical like 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 a museum kind of thing so people that right. are coming to the show understand this is history and what it is the history of the showgirl it could have you know he was thing ways it could have not just tossed it I have a question where fluff fits in this timeline of when Frank came on and was fluff gone because I think I'm I know it's something with the closing of and her passing but I don't know if it's before the changeover. Is she gone for the changeover? Yes. 
Okay. That must've been been really hard for her. Yeah. And it, I feel like it was probably better this way. Um, we, we had found out about her passing, um, right before we had found out about the, the change over happening, or it was like, it's a little bit of a blur, but it was all like right around that same time frame. Like we knew, and we had rumors that this was happening, but it hadn't been like officially told to us. Um, and I just feel like it was all right in the the same the same time frame um, from her passing and and us finally being told, even though you know we already knew it was happening. And I, and I remember we were like, "You need to come in and tell us what is going on." And we couldn't get a hold of anybody because it was going to get released in the paper. I think that it was being released, and we nobody had told us anything. Like I said, it's all a little bit of a blur and I don't want to like misrepresent it. But if I'm going from my memory, I do remember us saying like, we, this is being released to the the media and we still don't know about it. We want somebody here like right now, or we're not doing like the next, we're not doing the next show. So they had somebody come in and talk to us and we had a meeting either in between shows or after. And like I said, it's a little bit of a blur. I don't want to misrepresent it, but from my memory, that's, that's kind of where we were at with it. So it all kind of happened like right at the same time. That feels very disorienting. If you've got Fluff gone, who's been this, how old was when she would, if she was still managing up until her last days and she was, how old was she? Does anyone know? I, you know what? I, I should know off the top of my head, but I, I don't know. I know when I left the first time that she was still there in 2011 and actively um, coming into the show. Um, and when I came back, she was not. Um, it was, Suzanne had taken over as assistant company manager and Diane had taken over as company manager. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of change. I mean, 35, you know, however, 33 years, there's going to be change, but to have this yeah. staple be gone and then all this change and then no information that just feels just really unkind yeah. for, for what has been established all these years. So what yeah. was it like for you? I mean, the rehearsals I heard were rough. I've heard different people say just kind of, they felt like they weren't treated with respect. And some of it I think was lack of information or how you talk to dancers or not utilizing what they had, but once the show got going, how did that feel? Cause you know, I don't know what some um, of those updates, if that worked for, I mean, like you said, it's going to work for some people, not others. If you're new, it's like, this is what, you know, this is fabulous. Right. I think like, I think the concept of, of what they, what he wanted it to be, it was like Miss Jubilee and she traveled through time like I, I can see where the, the concept would work. I just feel like working on the scope of the project that we were doing with the budget that was given was um, not realistic. So kind of being set up to fail from, from the beginning. Um, when you're Beyonce's creative, creative director and you probably have an unlimited budget, your, your mind probably is bigger than, than what you actually can do. So mm-hmm. I think it was just from the beginning kind of set up, set up to, to fail and the, just working in 
chaos. Like something like this needed organization, almost like a project manager. So we had choreographers that we would have rehearsal and they wouldn't even know what they're teaching because they hadn't been told what they're teaching. Um, so I think tensions were really high. They were kind of filming like a documentary at the same time. So like I kind of got into a little bit of a tiff with one of the choreographers and they wanted to interview me right after that. And I was like, so I, at least in, in all of it, I was smart enough to know like they're, they want me to go out there. They want me to say something bad on camera. And all I could say is I'm, we're so lucky to have this opportunity to work with all of these amazing choreographers because I was like, you're not gonna get me. I mean, nothing yeah. ever came. Yeah, nothing ever came from the footage or anything, but at least I was like smart enough to be like, I don't ever want to be put in a bad light, even though like my emotions got the best of me when I'm trying to learn uh, this this choreography. Um, and they were not kind to us. It's when you're in an environment where you've been expected to learn things quickly um, and a way that they want you to do it, but done with kindness in a sense to be thrown into this environment where it's, it's not like that. It was, it was not kind. They were not kind to us. Like I said, some of them were, some of them weren't, but, um, and the vulgarity of the way we were spoken to was just like shocking. Yeah. Um, he was so vulgar and so crass. So I think we just were in survival mode. And I think that's why like a lot of us don't really remember it. Like we don't, we never really, our minds didn't let us process a lot of it. Yeah. And I know it sounds like really dramatic, but when you're in it and everybody just like was very protective of that history of the show and, and what it meant that we just were like, what is going on? And, and the show, when they reopened it, they did a soft opening. It was two and a half hours long. And Frank was like on a live mic, we sold tickets and he was like yelling at the sound guy to turn the mic up over his, like why they would give him a live mic. I don't know. So it's like all of these things, we could tell you these things and people were like, there's no way that happened. Oh. Um, but they, but they, they ended up having to cut out these big chunks of the show. And that's why like the Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, that was easy to cut. That was two numbers. It was a clean cut. They cut that out. They cut out the piercing of Titanic, which those costumes had just been redone by Pete Menifee and they spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on those costumes. And they were, um, they they just were put in the closet and, and never worn again. So it was like, where can we, they brought in Jean Lubis to clean up the mess. And it was like, wherever we could cut these, these um, big chunks of the show out, they would, because it was the fastest way to get it to, a reasonable, reasonable amount of time for someone to sit and watch a show. So we were doing a show and immediately changing over and going into the second show, oh you know, and then that brought in problems with like the unions, they didn't have their breaks. And so they were filing grievances. So it was just like this snowball effect that was just getting like bigger and bigger. But once it got the, going the show, and they, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, once the, the show closed, it was, so beautiful to see all of these people throughout the entire you know time of, of history just to come back and support us and just have an audience filled with people that love the show oh that yeah because i was there a week before the changeover before the closing of that one 
I wanted to be there and I wasn't in Jubilee. I just knew a lot of people in it. One of my students was right. in it and I did Hello Hollywood. But the people that talk about that last show, it's the love and the support yeah. they felt. And I think hearing your story, putting it in context of what you guys went through to get there, because I don't know, did it ever feel like it kind of got back up to like feeling like a good show or did it just kind of poop out at the end and then you have your last show or like as a cast, you um, guys have the, compa- the capacity to bring it together for yourselves to enjoy whatever it is. But I'm just wondering I like the energy towards the end. For like people like me, I think that they did a good job making it the best they could with like the circumstance that they've been given. But for, for me, like it's, never will be what it was before but I had accepted what it was and there were still parts of it that that I absolutely loved I think for the people that never knew the old show or never had that connection maybe with fluff like it was a great show so Mm. you had to be really you have to look at it through the perspective of other people because you know you need new people coming in to watch the show so most people that were coming into the show they were seeing it with fresh eyes. We did have some repeat customers like we always did, but there were a lot of people that were in the show that, that loved the show for what it was as, as the new show, because that's all they knew. So I think we have to be careful with like what perspective we're looking at it, like what lens we're looking at it through. It's for me, it was still a beautiful show, but it wasn't what it was before, but was it not what it was before? Because I had that special connection with it. So mm. I always tried to and and did towards the end and just to be grateful that that I had that job because you know I talked to a lot of people that were like I always wanted to be in that show and I wanted to be in it before I closed and actually my line captain at Crazy Girls she wanted she auditioned for it and she just never was quite tall enough but just there were still people that wanted to be in the show so it wasn't yeah. like it was this horrible show it just wasn't what we remembered it to be and we're such a small group of people in the greater scheme of things but so I think it was it was okay I still felt glamorous you know Mm -hmm. with all the beautiful Mm -hmm. costumes and and the makeup um but if I had to pick one or the other I would pick the the original well it wasn't even the original but the original to me show right because it wasn't original to what it was when it opened but um the costumes weren't as the new costumes weren't as glamorous as as the ones that we were in that we got that were the Pete Menifee and the Bob Mackie costumes. Although um, they did do a variation of the Tiller costume um, for the new show that I thought was like quite lovely that that Marius oversaw the the creation of those. But um, I think anybody coming to watch the show that had never seen it before would think that it's, you know, this beautiful, spectacular show that, that, and they wouldn't know any different. Yeah. What was that last show like? Cause I know when I, I talked to people that hello, Hollywood, hello, like when I left the show was going on 10 more years. So you take right. your, you take your pictures off, you take your makeup kit. Someone's already got their stuff in before you're already yeah. out the door. But when the whole cast leaves, that's the thing that made, and I, I talked to the people, the Lido that just closed in Paris of what it was like to take your stuff and turn around and see the dressing room empty. Just made me cry of that thought. Like yeah. there's no more life in this dressing room. This is the end of this era, which is different than a show closing and another one's coming in. I think because we had a big 
celebration like there um on property with like the the people who had come to see the show um i think that it kind of made ripping the band-aid off a little bit easier um i don't honestly remember what i was thinking packing up i never kept a lot of stuff at the show i don't know why um i never like moved in like some people really mm-hmm. moved in um so i just ran my stuff out to the car i think i'd like my makeup kit um and and a bag of you know whatever they would they would let us keep they um were really nice like they let us keep artillery earrings um or opening earrings and they gave us uh color copies of um some of the sketches so donna london who was um head of wardrobe she um picked specific sketches um for us like for me the ones that she chose she just were like these you know made her think of me so she gave me those sketches so i ended up i got an extra one i ended up with four copies of four of the original sketches i've Um, seen that is there a picture of you on your facebook with you in that with the costume in live and with the sketch yeah those are beautiful that's okay that makes that story even better those i've made it to the uh, Nevada State Museum as well. I did, it's called Sketch to Life. So um, I originally was um, lucky enough, I'll say it was a task. They have in the costume, or sorry, in the wardrobe department, they have nine legal size notebooks of the original sketches of the show. They were the, and the pre-fire and the post-fire. So that means the estimate of what it was going to cost and how they were going to build it um and then how much it actually cost after that and i scanned all nine legal size notebooks and that was like the original sketches um up to date and and so they had digital copies of it so in doing that um i was able to get um it kind of put it out there for people to be able to get copies of these original sketches. So every time I saw one, I would screenshot it and then I would put it side by side with myself in the costume because as the swing for the show, I got to wear almost every costume in the show, which is unusual. So every time I would wear a new costume, it was the more that we had cell phones that had um, cameras in it, the easier it was. Cause when I first was in the show, it was like, you had to bring a camera in, but, um, so I was really good along with, um, an, another girl that was in the show, we were diligent about taking pictures and we never, it was never a burden to be like, Hey, can you come take some pictures of me? I'm wearing a new costume. Um, and so I did, and that was like something I really, really wanted to do was just have a picture of me next to that, that original sketch. Yeah. And then there's wow. still more of them. I have more of them in my phone that I have not even added to that, that album. Um, but. I believe Pete Menifee shared that album to the Nevada State Museum and and that's how they have that somewhere in their files. Wow, I need to go back and see that whole section. All I saw was the big exhibit, the wall Mm -hmm. that had the, but I wanna go back and see more. So you also said that you do a lot of gig work in Vegas and you will be back in that dressing room. So can you talk about that? Like what what work there was, that's not necessarily a show, but there, like you said, there's dancers that aren't even contracted that are doing all kinds of, I don't know if it's industrials or events, like what does that look mm-hmm. like? And being back in your dressing room, because I love that what you, how you shared about where you end up sitting too. Okay. So I've had two experiences with what, what you're talking about. One is when we get hired 
by outside um, companies that will work with ballets so that we can um, wear the costumes or we'll do special events for ballets. And you, it's really surreal, surreal. The dressing room that we usually get dressed in is the dressing room um, where um, my spot happened to be. So uh, when you go into that spot, it still has like my name above it where it says Sarah and I had two pineapple stickers um, on either side of it. Mm -hmm. And you, when you go in and do these things, they'll find your costume because our names are still on the insides of the costumes. And so it's a little bit like you're stuck in time when you're there, yeah. uh, which is, is great. And then um, another experience I had right after the show closed, I went to LA with the costumes. They sent me with costumes that were um, commissioned to help with the guys choice awards. So I got to spend 10 days there working with Tabitha and Napoleon who are, um, yeah. you know, Amazing. they started culture <laughs> shock here. And, and so they're very like that. I, in my opinion, I was always like, why did they not hire them to revamp the show? They're, they, you oh, know, wow. they're from here, they understand it. So I think that they would have done an excellent job. That's just my side note, but and to go with the costumes and, and work with them and be like, if you can't do that, they can't bend over in that hat. Or I, they did a red fans number, which we had done with Jennifer Lopez um, twice. And there's like a specific way, there's a right hand and there's a left hand. And like, they didn't know that. So to be able to like work with them, but we still like those costumes that I was wearing there had my name on it, even though the show had been closed. But um, and, and I was, because I had spent so much time in Jubilee and helping fit the costumes to the girls, like with the flyers and opening the, the little hooks on, on the bras and fixing them. And, and so it just, I always feel lucky anytime I get to go back into that space with that stuff. And then to be able to see your name still on it, knowing that maybe that your name will always be on that costume forever. That's what you think of cool. the, how many names are I don't know if they did the another one over because I know like if there's like a history it's like the rings on a tree like how far down those labels yeah. but yours will always be the top and the last one yeah that's kind of cool because I know like I will mm -hmm. Greg Thompson has garage sales because he was in Seattle so I would sometimes go in and buy some stuff and you're like gosh there's like a lot of history in the hat because everybody would write their name and it's like oh, that's just yeah. really fascinating like how many people wore this but it's whoever's names on the top is the one that yeah. was on there forever so yeah, yeah. the la the last of jubilee because i've interviewed quite a few of the dancers at the last of the bluebells and so it wasn't just the last of the lead it was the last of the bluebells when that right. show just closed last year and it's just like that's that's mm -hmm. the end of it you are the last bluebells so it's sad but it's also like an honor in a way to yeah. be in that history of the the last of of the jubilee dancers yeah. Which is a sad, <laughs> beautiful statement. So we, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I know that you did crazy girls. I was did. that after Jubilee? Well, it must that have been, was. If you, okay. Yeah. So like I said, when Jubilee closed, we, a lot of shows just had auditions for us. And um, I went with um, another cast member um, that was in Jubilee at the time. And we, went and we were nervous and we were like we we and the, and the thing that was great you had to submit your stuff to crazy girls first before they invited you to the audition and and what they did um jen and Norbert was really good about me and like we want you to come see the show before you come and audition for it because you know they understood that it's 
that it, it, at the time I felt like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. But when I went into the show, I just really grew to have an appreciation for that show like I did for Jubilee because of the history with it. But um, never would I have thought I ever would have done it. But I'm just like so glad and grateful that that I did because I enjoyed my my time there. And um, you had to be, it was a hard show. That's why I always come yeah. back to like Crazy Girls was a hard, hard show. Yeah. How, how long did you do that for? About five years. Really? Okay. So you had a good long run there. Did, because that's yeah. like I was asking at the gut for the girls in Paris too. Like when that show closed, I think there's the Moulin. There's more, there's a lot more cabarets than I knew. But like, are people scooping up these beautiful dancers? Like for Jubilee to end, I'm wondering how many shows wanted you all. There's sixty right. something at the end, and like to how many dancers that was the end of their career, and they just went no further, didn't want to, or yeah. you know, sometimes it's age or injuries, and some like. I don't know. Do you have any idea of how many people stayed in Vegas and actually found work after Jubilee closed? Because there wasn't as many things to take them in at that point. I feel like the majority of the people stayed because I feel like, especially the older dancers, we have like established lives here. And, and like I said, it gave us the, the opportunity to buy like a home. So like just off the top of my head, I only know a handful of dancers that left. I'm sure like you lose connection over, over time, but I know for, for us, I, like crazy girls at one point, everybody, but one person had been in, in Jubilee. And that was funny. It was always the push and pull with, um, Norbert, the producer and Jen, um, the company manager, because you now have these dancers that maybe wouldn't have considered that show or now doing that show. And, um, it's a different type of a trained dancer. So it was always like, oh, the show's too dancey. Now it's less of um, a burlesque show. Now it's more of a dance show. So it, and, and Norbera was really important for us to keep that characterization in the show, like as playing characters rather than just dancing and making a connection with the audience, which was a little bit different in that bigger show. This was a more intimate show. So um, it was always a, that, that push and pull of, the show's too dancey versus right. the, the burlesque, the burlesque style to it. But um, I think when Jubilee closed, we had to make that decision. Are we willing to push our boundaries of, of the next type of show that we're going to, to go in and not that any show was like a bad show or anything, but everybody just had, like I said, their limitations and their own journey of how they, they want their dance career to go. And, and I'm really glad that that I just took that leap of faith and did that and did Crazy Girls because yeah. like what a great, great time to continue to be with my friends that I've been dancing with for like so many years, yeah. my entire career. Yeah. That sounds like a softer landing in a different way. Like you get to have yeah. still life as a dancer, still have community, and especially since you've made your home in Vegas, it's not as easy just uproot and go home when you've been there so long and established yourself. So I did peek on some of your videos. Your dancers are wonderful. So you teach in a performing arts high school. So to end, I am curious what it is that you take from your years as a showgirl, especially Jubilee, that you offer this generation that maybe don't know the history or the importance. Um, I, don't, I mean, I don't, you don't have to give it to them specifically. It might just be in the way you teach or what you bring or how you are as, you know, being from being a line captain. Some of those things that you bring with you are you, do you see that in how you teach and what you offer to them? 
Um, I think like uh, there's so many things that I bring to that into my my teaching. Um, I, I do teach a lot of history in my class because they, they I do teach academics within my class. And, and I think for anybody that lives in Vegas, if you're not immersed in the entertainment industry here, you, you really don't know the history and, and the spectacular stuff that goes on. So I do talk about being in shows. Um, I do a lot of mock auditions and I, and I find myself being like acting like Fluff and, Di- <laughs> Fluff and Diane and, um, and just my experience of what it was like to be the person leading the auditions. So we do a lot of mock auditions in my class and we make cuts. And um, I'll say the same thing I heard Diane say all the time, like, sorry, it's not going to happen this time. I, that's like a phrase that I um, always um, remember her saying um, and learning things. I expect them. I always tell them, like, if you don't know what I taught you the day before, um, then this will be the consequence, which is a direct reflection of me learning the show and coming back that second day and and not knowing what was taught to me the day before. But I do think that it's super important with all dance to celebrate the history of what it is and and pass it forward and and the style. Like my dancers, they're always like, can we do a showgirl number? So every concert, either in the spring or the fall, at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, I always choose a Vegas inspired song. Like I use Matt Goss, this, this particular show, we're using a song called The Boulevard from Clint Holmes. So I just really just have a, a, like a love and appreciation for what Vegas was. Um, And not that I don't have an appreciation for what it is now, but I just think that it was a time that like we'll never see again. And I feel so lucky and grateful to get to experience it. And I just push that onto to my my dancers and and a lot of tough love. I feel like I was cared for both by Fluff and Diane, but they were very direct and, and to the point. And if you did something well, they told you you did it well. And if you didn't, you know, and they were like, we need to work on this. And um, I appreciated that Jubilee, they were concerned about like our health and our weight on both sides. So, um, you know, I watched my dancers and were looking, particularly something I learned from Jubilee is they were concerned about us if we were too thin. And and so I, I do have that same perspective with, with my dancers as well. So there's just like so many lessons that I've learned from Jubilee and then from crazy girls, like just, they didn't, if we were doing a solo, they did not let us do it until we were absolutely ready to do it. And, and at the time when you're going through the process of the rehearsal, you're like, Oh my gosh, why are they being so picky? Why are they being so hard on me? But I, never felt like I stepped on stage not prepared Mm. and so I I tried to do the same with my dancers too they're so fortunate to have you I just think of um yeah there's something that you are imparting that is not going to be given anywhere else in the dance in the dance world so Sarah this was so wonderful like I learned so much from everybody's interview but there's so many things that that you brought up that I'm like I don't think anyone out of 150 interviews has really addressed this part or this part of what it was like right from this perspective and that's you know like you said everybody's got a different perspective of the show closing and all that but you know even we can all be in the same show and have very different experience or I did the same track for a year I had no idea what the swings did I didn't know all these other things I'm learning about now going wow, I'm even more amazed of what was happening 
all around me yeah. that, you know, just get your costume on, do your dance. And that's it. Like, oh no, <laughs> there's <laughs> all these other moving parts that make it as spectacular as it is. And that we really were fortunate, I would say, to be born at this time in history, have the right height and the leg length to get to do right. these because there's talented dancers that, you know, not tall enough or, I have dancers now that are hearing the history and like, but it's gone. And so they're sad because like, yeah, it was just this short period of time where these epic shows were happening and thousands and thousands and thousands of dancers had the opportunity to, to work and buy a house in Vegas. Cause like you said, you can't even working on Broadway, you can't afford a house getting paid. Yeah. So Vegas, I think is the only place I've heard of dancers made enough money to buy a house, to have an investment, to live and, and invest in a place which is really cool. That's yeah. You got to be part of that history. Yeah. I feel so lucky and, and grateful for it. My heart's always warm when I talk about Jubilee for sure. Mm. I love that. I love that so much. And I like that you're honest that when it was hard, it was hard instead of everybody's rosy view. It's like, there's, it's beautiful in with all the other things thrown in there. Yeah. So when this comes out, I always post photos. So with your permission of anyone I can use, your pictures are glorious. And that's some, a lot oh, of times I reach out to people. Like you're a friend of someone, I see a picture. I'm like, whoa, okay. I want to, because I love what the picture says about the dancer and the show they were in. So I would love to sure. share your pictures because wearing a Bob Mackie Absolutely. you know, costume is like how many women get to say that they did that? So right. Yes, you are welcome to use any anything of mine you'd like. Okay, I'm excited for people to see it. Thank you so much. Next time I'm in Vegas, if you want to grab a coffee or something, I feel like I'm getting Absolutely. to know more and more of these dancers that are still in Vegas that are still passionate about preserving this. So best to you. Yeah, and just, yeah. I would love to meet you in person. I would love that. Yeah, and, and I'm so excited for your dancers to get to continue their growth with what you have to offer. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you.